0: Hey there, folks, welcome to episode 48 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, enjoy their job and make a bigger difference. And you're about to hear the second part of my recent interview with Max Newton. Max is the head of community fundraising at the UK homelessness charity Shelter. And if you heard the earlier episode we've made with Max for episode 44, you know that about 10 years ago he gave up smoking, took up running and then took up ultramarathon running. This year he completed an extraordinary endurance challenge called the Tunnel Ultra, which involved running for 200 miles backwards and forwards through a dark tunnel over a single weekend. Yes, you did hear that right. In fact, at the time of publishing this episode, Max is right now engaged in another crazy feat to raise money, this time for shelter, and it's called Running Home for Christmas. It's inspired by the Chris Rear song, and he's running 410 miles up the length of the A1 between the 1st and the 25th of December. And as you might imagine, Max's hobby has taught him some valuable lessons about resilience, stamina, and bounce back ability. And these ideas have really helped Max and his colleagues in the way that they've handled their fundraising challenges this year. They've done actually really well in lots and lots of areas. And one of the many notable successes has been winning a brilliant partnership worth 250,000 pounds. So here's our interview about resilience and storytelling. I started by asking Max what transferable lessons he's learned from ultra running. Is there anything else in particular that the doing of these ultra runs has taught you about how one can keep going through really difficult times or when there's a setback how you can you know get, get back on your feet and and get back to a, a, a calmer or more productive way than many of us usually do yeah i
1: think there's probably a couple of things i think um when doing most of the ultramarathons, runs there's there's um there's checkpoints and the checkpoints with maybe every you know, 20 miles or something like that um they staff by amazing volunteers and first aiders and so on, um, who are usually people that uh, also do do the sport. And um, sometimes you get into those in really, really bad ways. Um, you know, you, uh, your knee is in absolute agony. Um, there was a, a time running, uh, one run I did was Race Across Scotland, which was on the Southern Upland Way, which is, I think, 200 miles, 214 miles Plus, about another 20 for getting lost a few times along the way. So, which makes the tunnel run a lot easier in that respect. And uh, I, I was coming down a, a mountain, and with every step, my knee was agony. And with every other step, my knee was agony and it was giving way. And I thought I couldn't give on. I, I sat on the other side of the hill. I, I probably had a bit of a cry. I tried to WhatsApp some people and some like of that. Did eventually get going again and get into the checkpoint in pretty bad sort of way you know tired and knee in agony and in those situations i think as and in fundraiser, and as a fundraiser and as a leader you just need to surrender to people you know to ask for help and be prepared to be helped in you know and in a in a really open and honest and you know you're pretty stripped bare in those situations you know, there's some pretty fundamental stuff that you need some help with sometimes, and um, and I think that's the same in in any walk of life, and in definitely in you know in fundraising that sometimes you definitely need to ask ask for help more and be um, open and humble about it and and really open. I think that is often the thing we really struggle with because we're trying to hold everything for our teams um, and also sometimes like show that we're we where it's not bothering us to our managers and our colleagues and so on. And I've definitely been somebody that's trying to do that. So I think definitely during my last two runs and during lockdown, learned to um so albeit being cheerful and not letting it get me down, but you know, sometimes it does. And it's important to be open and and ask for help and because people will want to help you and actually not think anything less of you for, yeah. for that.
0: And the cracks is yeah when we might've tried to, to avoid that, it might've been cause we wanted to appear capable and strong. Whereas the paradox is, as I understand it, it's it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It It's a sign of ability and and strength and high achievement to be willing to do that when
1: you need to. Yeah. And I think being um, like aware of yourself as well. And I think um, doing the runs and and probably also you know, emergency appeals and uh, things like, I get to understand like my body well and what's needed and also perhaps sometimes like my emotional state as well. Um, And so I think it's an important thing for us to, we've been talking a lot about um, wellness uh, at Shelter. I think everybody has. We've been looking at the the mind wellness action plans, which I think is a really great thing to do, both um, like with your teams, but also like for yourself, I found it really, really useful to um, externalize and identify what might be the different stages that I might go through into, to, to getting towards my limit or what I think my limit is, um, and at which points I need to ask for help and who would I ask for help? And also they, they know my plan. So they know that, um, in this situation, displaying these signs, what I need is this from you, and they're ready, and we're prepped, and that's really similar to ultramarathon running, where you might have a support crew who know that, um, you know, if if he's doing this, he needs more salt. So yeah, I think that's definitely something we've been putting in place a lot recently. And I think very much related to that is there's a, a phrase in, um, I was saying in ultramarathon running about never don't pack in on the way into a checkpoint. Um, and I think that's definitely something that's really resonated with me, like throughout. This time, throughout other really really busy times, of you sort of um, in the running terms, you're like I say you're, you're battered and beaten, and you you come to a checkpoint, and you think I made it to the checkpoint. I'm at the lowest I could possibly be. I'm packing in. I'm I'm signing off. I'm a DNF. I'm a do not finish. But actually, you could go in there and, and DNF. But probably in an hour's time, after you've had a cup of tea and a sit down, and your blisters have been looked after, and you've had a chat with some people. You probably you probably actually would have felt all right to carry on again and um i definitely take that sort of in the work context of um i mean usually the check our checkpoints at the end of the day like don't don't say like just get to the end of the day turn off switch off spend some time with the kids go and watch some football have a drink you know and then start again the next day and if you're still feeling like that at the start of the day or after a bit, perhaps that's when the time might be to give it to pack in but yeah there's been too many auto runners that have that have packed in going into checkpoint and then have regretted it badly afterwards yeah because my
0: understanding of what you just said is when you're in a bad state you're unlikely to be thinking clearly rationally about how possible this project is or how important it is or you know, what are the resources you could bring in to somehow change your strategy and solve whatever seems like an insoluble problem right now? That's the last time you should be making important decisions like whether to quit or not. So yeah. just do, take the break that needs to be taken. Say, OK, in the morning, I may well make this radical decision. But for now, I'm not in a fit state to make that decision. I'm going to postpone the decision. And you found that invariably, once you take the break that's needed, get whatever new resources are. Your, your state changes. So therefore your ability to make a, a, a more accurate decision changes. And therefore, usually that helps you keep going just to the next checkpoint, the next tree. Yeah. And, yeah. And then the next step in that really important work project. And if you keep doing that day after day or week after week, sooner or later, you get to some kind of finish line that is valuable for you and your project.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's, um, Going back to crying on the side of a hill, I'm not quite sure how this bit works in uh, in fundraising or leadership and stuff, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Um, so I was I'd, I'd messaged a friend of mine who was looking after my social media uh, accounts at the time, um, whilst running across Scotland. Say I think I think I'm done. I think I'm had it. 110 miles in. Um, Kerry Thomas is a name who's um, head of public fundraising at Bow Cancer UK. So big shout out to Kerry um and uh she shared it on my facebook page loads of people commented on it and on tops of the hills you know you get really good 4g and um the tons of messages came in tons of posts came in and they were split into two ways there was um don't give up keep going and but the majority were you've done really well you know you've done really well it's brilliant it's a great achievement um you know blah 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 don't don't worry about it and actually the ones that made me get up and carry on were the people telling me to pack in and i was like why you know, get get lost rob woods sat there eating your cereal at nine o'clock in the morning telling me to pack in you don't know what it's like carry on don't quite know how that relates but um yeah it, it was a fun time
0: <laughs> well it seems to me that we're not always aware of what who our strongest motivators are and sometimes uh, we all need people in our camp and we all need Supportive people, and we need to know that people care about us. But the style with which they give us encouragement or advice could vary. And for some of us, the thing that gets you going is is not always the equivalent of a warm hug. some Sometimes the thing that helps you find your inner drive is more challenge than. Yeah. Oh, they're there. Uh, maybe that's one element of it. And I guess the more one knows oneself, the more you know what it is for you that helps you do your best and and, and find a way to, to, to access your inner strength. And what, what works for one person isn't going to be the same that works for others. I guess yeah. maybe the most interesting thing about that is as a leader, you have to pay attention to your team and get a sense of, you know, what their motivational preferences are. Yeah. And you know, that what, um, you know, successful sports managers know that what works for one player is not the, the thing that works for another player
1: yeah and i guess um and i guess also there's a way of sort of taking ownership of that yourself so um again uh yeah me me, me and Kerry used to be used to chat a lot about things and we'd often go at the start of the conversation what what do you need from me right now what you know do you need me to commiserate and say, yeah, yeah, that's rubbish, it's really bad, or do you need me to just listen, or do you need me to give you a kick up the backside and um, and tell you you're wrong and challenge you? And um, I guess the thing we can all do is probably to, yeah, to, to, to know which in which situations we need, which type, we might need which types of advice or thoughts and, and who to go to for them.
0: Yes, and in particular, I think we do know, know ourselves relatively well but to be more explicit in signaling to the person you're talking to what kind of help you're looking for in today's conversation
1: yeah a, yeah
0: or is it just a good listener or is it critique or whatever it might be but rather than expect get frustrated when when they give us what they thought we needed for us to be explicit in saying what we need I, I think that that is a thing I've noticed in some high achievers I've yeah studied over the years is they're more clear in explaining that stuff to others and they therefore others are more likely and better able to meet those needs
1: yeah and it might be then who you choose to go to so um like is it is it one of the bright spots that you've identified is it um another ultra runner or somebody that's doing more or you know is it is it somebody another charity that you know is doing more and better and you know and and more things and you know you get different advice from that person as opposed to maybe a colleague in a department in my team or or from my partner or you know and so on so yeah i think you're right i think uh, yeah being explicit in what you need and who you need it from
0: hi it's rob and i wanted to jump into the middle of this episode really quickly to tell you about something i'm so excited about which is the way that our bright spot members club has been helping fundraisers to not only survive, but also to do really well, to raise funds so effectively during the pandemic. Through the club, our 300 members get access to a whole library of my best training films, as well as regular live coaching sessions to help you handle whatever challenges are coming at you each week. And we've also found that handling these challenges has not just been about getting the right advice or strategy, it's also been about morale. And we've found that the encouragement and help that our members get from each other has really helped them to stay positive. If you're not yet a member, but you'd like to find out more, go to brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. That's brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. I would love to welcome you to the club and do my utmost to help you succeed in your fundraising. For now though, back to the interview, as I asked Max for another valuable lesson that he's learned from his hobby.
1: One of the things that I needed when I mean, doing the running was definitely um, a real practical uh, example of things to take from one to the other, I guess, was like you can't do everything and needing to delegate, like delegate, but perhaps more than delegate, of hand something over to somebody else, an important part of something that you just can't deal with, but feels like something that's really precious that you don't want to hand over, um, which is always a challenge in in the workplace and, and with leading teams. And in the running, in my running world it was um uh, handing over my twitter and my facebook to, uh, to to my my good friend kerry um who and that's you know obviously under strict instructions not to post um anything of uh, that, that i love derby county or anything like that but i think she, she threatened to do that if enough people sponsored me before a certain time um but actually it was amazing but in a real practical sense that i didn't have that to worry about i could that whole I knew that I would raise like personally and from those events a lot more money if I could tweet and Facebook and update with things, how they're going along the way, because people wouldn't just be watching the dots, they could see pictures and my updates and things like that. Um, But it was just too much to fit into my head with all the other stuff to do. Um, And especially if and when things were to get tough, which which I knew they would. but obviously, you know, it's it's my personal Twitter, and my personal Facebook, and that's you know, that's the thing. And um, but we did, and um, and actually it was brilliant because yeah, she 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 did like all the updates, she got um some brilliant pictures. We raised you know, instead of raising three thousand pounds, we raised five, six, eight thousand pounds in consequent um events. She told like the story of what was happening with the human emotion and pictures and and her thoughts about how i was doing and the fact that you know she was working during the day with the phone sat next to her, next to her desk waiting for updates or or a call of me saying i'm lost can you have a look at the track and see which way i need to go um, so like all, I guess gets all bound up in that is that bit of like um the surrendering and the giving up that sort of cognitive parking of stuff so that to take you know, a big bit of something that is a big part of the is actually a big part of the project out of your mind and to somebody else and actually how liberating and empowering that is. But then also the power of the storytelling, like, you know, just had a huge, huge impact. Yeah, huge impact there and had a huge impact on like my teams and and the way we've been able to raise money as well.
0: Yes, so I, I, I said at the beginning of this conversation that myself and my family, when confronted with the story of this uh, amazing 200-mile run you were doing, it was the story that gripped us and lots of other people who probably ended up sponsoring you not once but twice as well. So that's clearly one of the benefits that came from you be- better delegating and so that the- enough resource and time and energy could be given to the telling of that story. Yeah. Also, I do remember you saying because you think more deeply and in a more focused way on the importance of finding good, real examples relevant to the cause as a fundraiser and as a leader of fundraisers, when you were in that role at the British Red Red Cross, your team got wonderful results, partly because of this quite deliberate focus on storytelling and just finding and sharing of more content, more real stories than most fundraisers actually do. Could you tell us a couple of the things about how you did that
1: yeah we um uh we, we had uh, professional storytellers come in to to a team meeting so we we um i tried to introduce the the, the concept and importance of storytelling from conversations we'd had and corporate mastery um courses that that i've been on with you guys um but also i needed somebody else to to tell that as well um so we had some really great yeah like Sessions with a professional storyteller, and we practiced storytelling at every meeting. So every subsequent meeting, we 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 did some exercises where we 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 told we we gathered case studies from the from the website, which definitely weren't stories. We turned them into stories using some techniques, um, and then told them to each other in, in a safe space, which was um, great practice to sing it out loud. Great practice and constructing them was great um the team got to know each other better because sometimes the stories are something that they've been personally affected by and also they're about the organization better and we but sort of a, a parallel part of that was to um to gather our own stories so that we're not um taking something from the internet um and and trying to sort of reword it and put it in our own thing so we set up um for the department we set up uh uh kpis to have um spend i think it was uh two or three days throughout the year doing some frontline volunteering some frontline service volunteering with the idea that you know you you find your own story then you find your own like specific story that and the things about it which resonate with you and you get particularly excited or emotional about and then can tell them in your own words um and, and uh, find out more about what we do, get some ICS authority with um, with our service colleagues. But in our team we, we made it the KPI to to do three or four times more um, more frontline service volunteering. Um, and it was so so valuable because the team did get their own stories and did get their own way of telling them. So we sort of went way above and beyond what was expected. So just
0: so that I've understood this, the rest of the organization introduced a uh, key performance indicator that two or three times a year fundraisers would do some frontline
1: volunteering and in your team you decided to do it how often i think we it was a bit of time ago now so i think we were like three or four times a quarter um that so sort of regularity so... more we yeah dream about
0: this and what i'm here, imagining as various conversations where your colleagues in other teams were saying, "But Max, when there's not time, we can't we can't do it more than two th- two or three times a year. Look at all this money we've got to raise." Yeah. Whereas I sense you understood the wisdom of it that t- more time spent at at the coalface, absolutely connecting to why we are here, it will require investment of time, but it will pay us back many fold. And that was yeah. Lovely.
1: Yeah, I think um. So the, the first thing was that I did that myself. Um, so I did that myself to actually to, to help out our emergency response teams over over winter with um, taking people from uh, hospital to home and getting them settled in at home, um, which has a huge increase on resource, at, yeah, at winter time. And so I, I did it, and I took it off as annual leave, um, like once 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 a week for. two two or three months and my manager said to me why why are you taking this as annual leave like the value like from our conversations the value that you're getting from that in terms of learning about what you know what we do and the the about able to talk to people about what we do much more viscerally and clearly you know we, we we spend thousands of pounds sending teams on courses to learn how to do that and to get that sort of stuff um so yeah so we we yeah we 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 did it and we we had really quick results we had um one really clear one and once we got the really good results we could you know share them with the rest of the team and it wasn't just me saying this is really good so um was um one of my fundraisers was due to give a talk to i think um like 100 um heads of schools um in in our region and she phoned me up to say I've written my speech for them. Um, this is what I'm going to say. Can, can I re, can I read it out to you? I said, yeah, 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 cool. So we read that speech. Great speech. Nothing wrong with it at all. But then we, said, we sat. We was on the phone and we said because um, it was the days before everybody was on Zoom. And um, we said, it's it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. But how about we just like do all of it, but just in stories. So just like every bit of it where you're explaining about what we do, who you are, you know, why you're here let's do it in a story and she we had a bit of chats around the biz which took it away didn't actually come back to me and do it to me as it were um but um did the talk to all these people stories and got um like 25 of the schools signed up to take part in a in a project where there could be up to 20 cohorts of young people in each school um raising between 300 pounds and a thousand pounds um, and yeah, it absolutely was down to turning that into stories, and they were stories that she got from that frontline service volunteering with different services, um, and then was you know was able to sort of you know, she was that bright spot, I guess, um, to then go back to the rest of the team and other teams and say, you know, just look how successful this was and how and how great this was um and we had lots of other that was the, the biggest most high profile example but you know we we had lots of others where you know and obviously we'd, we'd celebrate those and shout about those and yeah really sort of try and also try and just like pick apart the great bits of the storytelling that really works with that um so yeah yeah it's had and we've sort of brought that along here you did a you did a great uh zoom session with our team here at shelter and um really yeah, there were several several great things that came out as a result of that within the next two or three weeks and one was um, one member of the team being able to um, flip changed her story to be incredibly more effective which she um, tried out that night with a hairdresser it was her first um, post-lockdown haircut and said the hairdresser had goosebumps um, list to it went um another one went down incredibly well at a rotary talk a virtual rotary talk and um got much more support than they would usually get as a result of that and that partnership we talked about earlier um there were there were several bits of it there was a submission then there was a pitch and then there was a further submission afterwards and in each of those stages we we sat and went what's that big fat claim actually instead of Listing all the things that we do, how can we do that? How can we tell that in the form of a story that people can relate to? Um, and let's get all that upfront and at the start. And we started with a story. We started with a really personal story from somebody in the team. We had a a, a future story of how this partnership might affect the life of a of a one of our clients looking for help in the future and how that would pan out and the story about how we help people recently. And they were the bits that we almost like cut out loads of stuff and, and they were the bits that won the deal. Thank you so much, Max, for all your ideas,
0: your stories, your advice. I need to finish the interview very soon, but um, I really appreciate the time you've given to this and I look forward to hearing about your next run in due course and your next fundraising exploits. But until the next time, Max Newton, thank you ever so much.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Max. Bye. Bye.
0: So there you go. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And if so, please do remember to subscribe to the podcast today to see a full transcript and a summary of today's episode. You can find those on the blog and podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Today's episode was the first part of a longer session that Max and I created for our BrightSpot Members Club. If you want to find out more about this training and inspiration site for fundraisers, the address is brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. And if you're listening to this in the week before Christmas and you're trying to decide on a good cause to make a donation to, please do check out what Max is up to right now. This is his latest crazy feat to raise money for shelter to prevent homelessness. It's called Running Home for Christmas. And basically he's running 410 miles up the length of the A1 between the 1st and the 25th of December. If you want to get involved, if you want to follow his progress or send him a message to help get him over the line, his Twitter name is at Maximo Newton. And you can sponsor him at www.justgiving.com forward slash 410. And just to add, last time I spoke to Max, uh, he said because of the where his run rate is at, he's likely to be running around 40 miles a day in the week before Christmas and through some pretty grim weather at that. And I'd like to thank everybody who's been in touch and shared the podcast this year or left a kind review to help it grow and reach so many charities so quickly. And if you do want to get in touch about this one, we would love to hear from you. Uh, I mentioned Max's Twitter name earlier and on Twitter I am at Woods underscore Rob and we're both on LinkedIn. Lastly, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a wonderful break for Christmas and I look forward to sharing more fundraising bright spot stories in 2021.